Hey, serious privacy enthusiasts, ready to ace your AI data privacy game? Oh, you bet, Kate. Dive into the world of TrustSark's Nemity Research, your go-to for staying on top of regulatory developments in AI and privacy. Seriously, Nimity Research maintains a massive privacy and regulatory database featuring expert guidance and analysis from legal and privacy pros. So save time on privacy research, cut your compliance timeline, and reduce costs with Nimity Research. Get your regulatory research and insight at your fingertips with a free trial. So get ahead in privacy compliance and start that free trial today. Go to trustark.com slash nimity dash free dash trial. This is Serious Privacy by Trustark. Here are your hosts, Paul Breitbart and Kay Royal. One of the cornerstones of most data protection and privacy laws around the world is that rights are awarded to individuals. First and foremost, a right of access, but also a right of correction, right of deletion, data portability, etc., Everyone should be able to understand what personal data organizations process about them. However, it can be a challenge to find out how to file these access and deletion requests for each and every company that may have your data. There could literally be thousands of companies to write to. In recent years, several initiatives have been launched to make it easier for individuals to exercise their rights. For example, the Dutch civil rights group Bits of Freedom has launched a project called My Data Done Right that allows you to create all kinds of request letters. But other initiatives are much more technology, technologically advanced, like mine, that helps users to delete their data. And our guest today is the co-founder and CEO of mine, Gal Ringel. Gal is based in Tel Aviv, Israel, and has a background in military intelligence, software development, and investment. And he's also a member of the Forbes Technology Council. So today, we talk to him about the question, why consumers deserve more transparency and choice over their data, and how this can increase trust. My name is Paul Breitbart. And I'm Kay Royal, and welcome to Serious Privacy. So, Gal, thank you so much for joining us. We're absolutely delighted to have you on the podcast, and we think it's going to be a very interesting episode. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Good. So let's start with the unexpected question. What's the next book you want to read? I think a book that is not exist yet by uh, Elon Musk. <laughs> oh, that should be interesting. I join you on that one. And would that be the story of the Twitter takeover that did not happen, or just the whole inspiration of the companies the that rockets, he created? The rockets, everything. Everything. I think that as, as a company CEO, I don't know how he can be a CEO of four different companies together, <laughs> right? And still have time for himself to do other things. It's, I'm curious how he's uh, doing that. It's very amazing. Very interesting. Paul? So when talking about fiction, I have no idea because there are a couple of dozen fiction books waiting for me to read. And it really depends on my mood what the next one is. When it comes to nonfiction, there is a book waiting for me to read that is called Grip. And that is all about planning your day and making sure you get control over your time. So maybe that's something Ooh. that Elon has already read and that he knows how to manage all those four companies at the same time. I don't know where I'd find the time to. Eat. Okay, my next one. I think I've said before that I I don't read nonfiction for fun. So right now I'm actually reading the new book by Patricia Briggs on the Mercy Thompson series. It is all about vampires and werewolves and things that go bump in the night. I love it. But the ones that I'm rereading are J.D. Robb. It is Nora Roberts' pen name. She writes a detective series based in New York with a woman named Eve Dallas. 
and an incredibly rich husband named Rourke, which may be along the lines of Elon Musk, kind of, <laughs> but they have over 50 books. So when I go back and reread the whole series, it takes like six months. Oh, wow. Yep. Nice. I haven't heard about that one. Oh, I love it. I love it. It has a little bit of romance and sex thrown in, which I just kind of skipped those pages because they're immaterial to the detective story. <laughs> and as she gets to the later books, those those start waning off because I think she realizes people are more invested in the story and the characters and the detective part of it than they are any of the romance part. But it's funny. I like it. All right. So let's get started. Gal, I usually let Paul have the first question and the last question because I just spent three weeks with all the questions. <laughs> Paul, where would you like to start? Well, basically, I think I want to start with what is mine and where is it coming from? I mean, I know you exist since 2019, that you mainly work helping consumers to get more control over their data, but I'm pretty sure there is more to it than that. Yeah, of course. I would love to share the story. So a little bit about my background, as you mentioned, I spent seven years in the 8200 unit, which is uh, the part of the intelligence forces uh, in Israel. And the idea to start mine was born there 15 years ago, actually. Uh, I'm an ex-officer. And when we wanted to start mine, we quickly realized that we are three co-founders and that the three of us really understand personal data and how valuable it is to us in our personal life, but also how easy it is to exploit our data in all kinds of ways. It can be identity theft, reputation damage, manipulation, if you remember the case of Cambridge and Facebook, and even, and even all kinds of um, other things that related to our personal data. And as three founders that were, that were born before the internet, we thought it's crazy that we can't really stop for a minute and ask ourselves, where is our data? And who knows what about us? Did you, did you ever ask yourself that question? No. I did. I actually asked myself that question when I joined the Dutch <laughs> Data Protection Authority in 2009. And they had just released a report at the time that spelled out that people would be in about 1,500 databases. That's all? F 1,500. 1,500. Yeah, that was in 2009. Okay. That's 13 years ago. And already then I wondered, can I get to 1,500 databases where my data would be? I think by now you could easily add a zero and probably also multiply it again by three or four. I would have no idea where my data is. So let me ask you a more specific question. If we talk about first-party data, like data that you gave to different companies on your day-to-day, -day, so not data that is being passively collected. So when you sign up to a new service, when you purchase something, when you book an hotel or a flight ticket. So if you count this, how many companies do you think have your data right now? How many companies have my data? Oh, we're talking 50,000 or more. I'm pretty sure. That's 50, just a wild guess. Yeah. Okay, great. So this is exactly... Uh, yeah, Paul, you want to... No, wanna I was just it? trying to do the math. I'm, I mean, I'm a lawyer, so I can't do math. But probably <laughs> it's it's already four or five companies a week that gain my data knowingly. Knowingly. Okay. That you knowingly give it to them, right? Yeah. Knowingly. Yeah. So good guesses. Actually, my personal footprint when I ran mine for the first time was 823 companies. Oh, that's all? And yeah. Huh. But I'm coming from cyber security background, right? So I'm not giving my data to any company, but you would be surprised that in the US, the worldwide average is actually 550 companies. Now, That's pretty low. 
know. Yeah, because this is companies that you actively knowingly gave your data, not passively collected like cookies or browser settings, things like that. So, so we wanted to solve that, like to stop for a minute and while we're using the internet to see what is happening with our data and to learn what is the online exposure that some companies generate to my life. And what we found out is that most of the companies that have our data today were due to a one-time off interaction. Mm-hmm. Meaning right. we, pur- we purchased a flight ticket long time ago. We booked an hotel a few years ago. We purchased some product during Black Friday or Cyber Monday. Okay, so you knowingly gave your information to a hotel, but you know how many vendors that hotel has, where they host their data, their customer relation management, everything like that. Are you counting those vendors or are you counting no. just the hotel? Okay. No, only the first party data. We will get to the third parties and fourth parties uh, later on. But so this is the first thing that we wanted to solve, to add a transparency. Anytime that we click, I agree. We really want to know what's happening behind the scene, right? We feel that something was taken from us. We can't really read privacy policies, even if we are lawyers, it's too hard, right? And we don't have the time. So we wanted to add transparency around that. Now, the second thing that we wanted to solve is choice. What do I mean by choice? When we started mine, thinking about mine back in 2018, uh, 2018, the GDPR was just legislated, right? May 2018. And the sad reality was that no one really used these privacy laws. If, if you try to exercise the right to be forgotten or uh, data access requests when GDPR just... Mm-hmm. Have you tried when, when, when GDPR oh. emerged? Have you tried to exercise your rights? Of course I have. And, and how was that experience? Some were better than others. I must say that I mainly focus on the right of access because I tried to understand what companies know about me. And some are very forthcoming, some are not. And yeah, as, as you are very cyber security conscious, I'm very privacy minded. So I use unique email addresses uh, already for a number of years for every company that I try to do business with. That makes it slightly easier to to get information from them. But not all companies indeed are. are Okay, interesting. So to wrap up your question, we wanted to add transparency into personal data online and to provide you with choice to allow you to ask companies to remove you whenever you are done using with their service. And the idea was by doing that, by reducing your online exposure is the same as companies are practicing data minimization, right? To reduce Mm -hmm. the amount of data they keep. So we think that also consumers should do that because the sad reality is that every day there is a new data breach or a new privacy scandal. And we are paying the price because our data is then get stolen, leaked out and used against us in so many ways. So we allow consumers today to find out where is their data? to learn about the online risk, and if they want uh, to ask companies to remove their data, to start reducing their online exposure, to avoid digital risk. And how successful has that been? Very. To date, we have uh, raised more than uh, 21 million. We have more than 2 million users worldwide that have sent more than 21 million deletion requests to hundreds of thousands of companies. This is how uh, we started, but last year, something amazing happened. So. A lot of companies started to reach out to us directly and literally saying, hey, mine, we got requests from your users. We love your product. We even used it as individuals. By the way, we are not a third party in the process. When you want to ask a company to remove your data, it, it, it is done directly from your inbox, from your email. So we are not taking any proxy. We are not working as a third party. So it's you versus the company. 
And we're saying that, you know, these rights are not absolute. So each company can, you know, honor that according to their processes, other privacy rights, etc. But something amazing happened. So these companies started to reach out to us, speaking to us and saying, hey, mine, we, we need help. We, we don't know how to process this privacy request at scale. It's very hard. So we started asking questions like, okay, can you tell us a little bit about the challenges? And we, we started to learn how challenging it is for companies to deal with all kinds of daily privacy tasks or uh, privacy operations like data mapping, DSR handling, vendor risk assessment, etc. So we changed our vision last year by helping companies as well. So today we have two legs to our business. One is the consumer app that I told you about. And the other is uh, a SaaS product. We, we call it Privacy Ops, which allows you to uh, automate any daily privacy operation in a no-code approach. So you don't need a lot of legal resources. You don't need any engineering time. Literally 15 minutes and you can get up and running with data mapping, DSR handling, vendor risk assessment. Okay, let's say let's say on the on the other side for the moment, on the consumer side, because I've got I've got some more questions on on, on how that works. Because you basically sure. say, well, it is the individual that sends out the request. So how does it work? So mine we call it a smart data assistant. This is the app that we develop and it literally sits within your inbox but in a non-intrusive way. So one of our unique values is that we don't keep any personal or sensitive information regarding our users. So how do we do that? We discover that the key to construct your digital footprint lays within your inbox. So if you think about it, any digital relationship that you do online, when you sign up to a new service, when you purchase something, when you book a hotel, you get an email from the company. Mm-hmm. Your purchase from... Amazon, your flight ticket from United, et cetera. So what we're doing, we, we, we developed a non-inclusive NLP that can identify 25 digital interactions only based on the email subject line. So we never process the content of the emails because we don't want to see sensitive information. And we process email subject lines in memory. And this is how we identify different digital interactions. Again, like sign up, purchase, booking, purchase employment. And this is how we construct your digital footprint in less than 30 seconds. This is phase one. Phase two, since we don't really read the emails, how do we know what data you are giving to these companies? We developed another NLP algorithm that goes to the privacy policies of these companies and analyze it. So today we analyzed more than 5 million privacy policies of different companies. And from their privacy policies, we learned what data they claim to collect. And we match it to the different interactions that we find in your inbox. So let's take an example. Airbnb provides two methods of uh, digital interactions. You can be a homeowner and you can list your home and you can be someone who wants to make a reservation. So today, since we analyze Airbnb privacy policy, we know how to differentiate between the two digital interactions and what specific data points are being collected in each one of them. So this is how we show you within the app not only the, the name of the companies and the logos and everything, you can see exactly what data they keep about. Okay. But basically, I would be giving you access to my email box. Well, Isn't that also a security risk? No, because we, since we are coming from the security space, we built everything to be... We, so our thesis is saying that any company can get breached, right? It's just a matter of time. So we built all the tech stack to be prepared for that. 
So if that happens, we will not risk any of our... So how does that go? I, I, I give you my email address and my password, or I log into my email, and, and how do you gain access to my mailbox? We're using OAuth protocol. So you basically grant mine uh, access. So we get a token, which is mm -hmm. revocable at any time, and also revocable after a certain period of time. And they grant us access. And forgetting that we were, we had to go through, if you, if you uh, ask about Google, we were, had to go through a deep security assessment. So once a year, they nominate a third party vendor. We, uh, we are using a U.S. company called Bishop Fox, which is one of the leading penetration, penetration testing companies in the U.S. And they audit all of our app to make sure that we are used the way it's uh, intended. So without collecting any personal data, without accessing the content of the emails, etc. Okay. And the only thing we keep about you other than your token is the email address that you signed up to our service, your name, right? And then the list of domains that we found, the list of companies like Airbnb, United. And the last part, this is the, the third phase, is if you want to exercise your right to be forgotten, you can click on any company and an email would be generated from your inbox directly to the company. Yeah, those emails I've seen on the receiving end. I must say I'm not a fan because I think it's it's hard given, first of all, the volume that comes in to also make sure that everybody gets credentialed because we cannot just start deleting accounts. People need to be credentialed, need to be authenticated before any any access to their account can be given or any deletion can be given. Plus we have also in account settings, a deletion option. I think that's also for a lot of other companies the case that they have a self-service environment where users can do that. And so then it would only be sending the user an email back saying, hey, this is something you can do yourself, which for the user, I think in the end would not be the best user experience. Right. Yeah. And uh, for that, I have a few answers. So one, we help companies to verify the user identity after companies came to us and asked for that help. So this is one thing that we're doing. The second is we provide companies with a unique evidence to allow them to understand and to quickly identify the user data within their systems. And evidence can be the original email interactions that your company sent to the user originally. So this is how you can easily track the data. Uh, and lastly, if a company has uh, a specific self-search form or any other method, we are directing our users directly to that method. So we are accepting and honoring the company processes. Okay. And how are you finding the company processes? Is it because of a return email from the company or when you go through the privacy policy and you see something says, want to enforce your rights, please send this? It can be multiple ways, either scanning, uh, re-scanning the privacy policies and see if they added a different method other than just email. And also we invite companies to reach out to us and uh, suggest another method and then we switch it. I do want to emphasize that our goal, our vision is to really work with companies, unlike other vendors. So we really respect their, their processes and we would love to adapt our way to the kind of process that they want to work. And just to share that to date, we saved more than 300, three, 350,000 users from a data breach because they used our service to find all the data. They deleted these accounts and these accounts later got breached. So 
we are not just allowing users to generate deletions for the sake of deletions. We're really doing that to really keep uh, people's data safe online. Mm -hmm. So uh, we are really measuring. Interesting. So the last statement you said is very intriguing, that you save the users from being victims of a data breach. Do you... Do you measure this because the data breach was public and you know that that user requested their data to be deleted and the company confirmed they deleted it? Or are you somehow able to verify that their data was not in the data breach? I think it's a mix of both. So let me share how we do it. So let's take an example. Our biggest example is EasyJet, the airline Mm -hmm. that got breached, uh, I think, two, two years ago. It was either seven or nine million passengers, customers affected. And we saved from that specific data breach 4,000 users. How do we do that? How, how have we uh, done that? So they saw within the app that they have an EasyJet account that is unused anymore. We can show you whether you're using that service or not. And they requested to delete their data from EasyJet. Now, the minute you initiate that request and then the process was completed and you got the confirmation, we start tracking behind the scene. We have a threat intelligence component. We track all the dark web and the public news for any data breach or a privacy standard. And anytime it happens, in the case, in our example, EasyJet, it was a news report. The data was not found in the dark web yet. So we scan the news in an automated way. We learned what data was collected. And since the user deleted the data before the breach, we know that his data was not part of that data breach. Now, we even confirmed it in some case. We did that manually because this is something that we are not allowing right now to consumers. We, some of the users that was part of that save, we asked them to generate a data access request from their own inbox, and then they got no data from it. So this is how they... This is how they knew that they was not part of that uh, data breach, and we could validate that. So... If you aggregate all the events that we were able to capture, it, it's uh, 350,000 users. And this is something that I'm very proud of. So we saved users from identity theft, reputation damage, financial loss, home burglary, and all kinds of different scary stuff. But this is, this is only the consumer side. I mean, we have a super interesting business right now that we are helping companies to, to really, you know, handle all kinds of different privacy tasks on their side because we learned from them that all the current infrastructure is not really working for them. So they came to us and literally asked if we can help them. So this is something that we started last year. I mean, I like I like the fact that you say, well, it, deleting your data helps to avoid your data being in data breaches. I I think that's a, that's a great approach. If we look at, at, at another airline data breach, Transavia here in the Netherlands a couple of years ago, they were fined 600,000 euros by the Dutch DPA because they had data that was over 10 years old. So when you talk about those timelines, how far back do you go in yeah. the user's email address? And how do you determine whether or not there is still an active relationship? What what timelines do you use for that? Or is that user configurable? Okay. And let me jump on Paul's question real quick before you before you respond. A lot of people share the same information between their work email address and their personal email address. Because maybe they booked a work trip, but they send it to their personal, you know, whatever. They just have multiple on there or they booked it with an airline and it's their personal email address, which a copy goes to. So as you address Paul's, keep that concept in mind as well, if you can. 
So I'll answer your question first because it's very easy. It's oh. called email. It, it, uh, it's called email alias, right? So you can forward email. You can use different emails. When we allow you to generate a deletion request, you can't just send uh, a deletion request to any company that you want. We search for an email evidence inside your inbox that suggests that you had a previous relationship with the company. Again, that, that can be a sign up email, a purchase email. We need to see some evidence. And only once we see that evidence and we validate it, only then you can really generate a deletion request. So this is how we verify uh, uh, that. Now, so we know exactly what email you use to do that online uh, interaction. Now, to, to your question, Paul, understanding data retention policies from the outside, from an external look, it's very hard, right? I do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, and we can touch that on our B2B product, but yeah, both sides, right? So not all of the companies write it in the privacy policy. So what we are doing right now oh, is we... Oh, no, say that's not true. <laughs> not all of the companies. Listen, we <laughs> analyzed uh, millions of privacy policies. So uh, not all of them really write that. Uh, a yeah. lot of them write, you know, the sub-processors that they have, but they don't mention how much time these sub-processors really keep data. Right. Right. I wish it was that way. So what we're doing to tackle that, we invite companies in specific cases that the data was already deleted, right, to share with us the data retention policy, the number of years, and we can uh, adjust that within our app. So we will exclude all the online interactions to prevent users from sending the company request that is not valid. That is ah, because the company would respond back and say, "Yes, we have your data, but we can't delete it because blah 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 reason." Do any mm -hmm. of them ever include the fact that, and at this time, we're unable to delete your data from backup? But if we ever restore from backup, we will go through and re-delete your data. No, I think I only saw it once regarding backups. Yeah, that is weird because you know they're not deleting it from backups. We all know that. This was a conversation we covered on a podcast away before the data protection authorities know that that's technologically infeasible. But it's they hard. say as long as you explain to the person that your data is still in backups and should we ever need to restore, we will re-delete your data. That's the only way a company can justify mm -hmm. not deleting from a backup. Yeah, backups are a very uh, difficult use case. So we know companies aren't doing it, but they're not telling the consumers they're doing. It. Okay. No. Yeah. So not just jumping jumping back on the on on the timeline because my question was also on on your end, not so much on the company's end, but how far do you look back in yeah. the users' emails oh. for relationships? Until the beginning, I'm an early user of Gmail since Me the too. joke during April 1st, 2004, if you remember. I do. So I have 18 years of emails in my inbox. And by the way, you said that you are privacy aware and you have unique emails. Our vision is to really encourage people to use the internet. We think that the internet is an amazing place. We encourage you to go shop, give your data to any company that you want. But we will, you know, visualize while you are doing that, what is happening with your data. And once you are done getting value, it's always cost versus value. Cost is the data that we're paying, right? And the value is something that we are getting in return from the company. And we can measure that. And every time that the value is, is greater than the cost, we have no problem in most of the cases, right? That's but, what I was going to ask. Does the company ever push back and say, well, no, we have a legitimate interest in having this data and our interest is not over, overvalued from the, your data protection rights and 
freedom. It's from it's from the consumer point of view. I meant like where yeah. every time we as individuals, the the cost is greater than the value. That means that we are not using the service anymore. And this is exactly the time to uh, delete the data because you can always sign up again and you know use that company again. But if you use the company. Keep your data there, all good. And so that that needs to tick a box and say, well, this company is no longer relevant for me. I'll, exactly. I'll delete. Yeah, we are not automating any of the deletions. The user, the users have to decide and to take that action. We only show the data and present what it's out there and what is the online risk. So I'm not a I'm not a Gmail user anymore. How will you help me? We support also Microsoft emails and Yahoo accounts. We started with the three big email providers, and soon we will also going to add local providers. The next one, for example, would be GMX in Germany, which mm-hmm. is very, very popular. So we're going to add local providers yeah, in the future. Now, something very nice that we have done when companies reached out to us saying, hey, we cannot find the data. And then we shared that evidence that I told you. Suddenly, it really helped them to locate the, uh, the system because they could uh, look at the email subject line, really understand. What was the digital interaction? And then companies, if we can help them to map, to do the data mapping exercise. Have you ever done a data mapping exercise from the company oh, point of view? Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're both very, very experienced in that. That's what TrustArt does, which both of us came from. It's fun. Anonymity it, before that. Oh, it's, yeah. It's everybody fun, right? loves it. They just come right. to work and go, oh, please, let me do another data mapping. Yeah. Give me more. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, right. Give me more. Give me more. I yeah. can't stand the joy. But seriously, we're coming to a, li- uh, to a little bit of a close, the end of our time. But I wanted to ask you one lingering question for me is when you analyze these privacy notices and the company lists either the subprocessors they use or they use a third party process to do something. I'm thinking the cookie notices and they have that built into their privacy notice. Do you also pick up those third parties in addition to the first party that they're working with? Yes, but we are not populating it yet within the app. So this is on the roadmap. But today we actually took all of these privacy policies and start to follow the third parties and see how the data really, you know, expand into third parties and four parties. Do you know how much I really want that database of privacy notices so I could write a kick butt article on it? I'm just saying. So do you know, uh, do you know David Hoffman from uh, Duke University? Yeah. Uh, Professor David Hoffman. So he's on our advisory board and we have a lot of uh, close relationship with uh, Duke University. And actually they are using our anonymized data from the privacy policies to write all kinds of white papers. And I would love to share it with you as well. We oh, really that'd la- be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Because I, when I got my PhD, that's what I did it on was privacy. I, I love. We would love. Yeah. We would love to support that. And I just want to finish one thought regarding the data map. Regarding the data mapping, because it's really important. Since it's very fun and painful, we found a very unique way of doing that in literally less than be- ten minutes. And uh, the way today data mapping is uh, being done within companies, you have a spreadsheet, right, where you send to different key stakeholders within the company and really ask them to fill out the data sources that they are in charge. What we did, we actually took the consumer technology, the, the inbox scanning, and we adapted it to the workspace, to the business side. So today, through analyzing the employees' emails in the same non-intrusive way, we are able to build a data mapping exercise in less than 10 minutes. You get a whole view 
of all the data sources that the employees are interacting with. So obviously mostly SaaS, but we can also pick up any database that you're using. And you don't have to go through the painful process of sending emails or questionnaires or even adding the data sources one by one. We literally create that list and maintain it in real time. So anytime someone within the company interacts with a new source, you would get an email uh, and an alert of it. So this is something very that I'm very proud on. Interesting, Interesting approach. Yeah. yeah. For my administration, when you talked about your technology, you talked about NLP processes. That is neuro-linguistic programming, right? Yes. Okay. Sorry. Just <laughs> so that also our listeners are aware. Just want to make sure all of our listeners. Exactly. Yeah. yeah sorry. I have one final question before I wrap up. Why the ostrich as your mascot? Oh, I let you guess. I say it's because people are burying their heads in the sand, but. Exactly. We allow you to uncover all the data that, you know, uh, the internet has about you. And most of the people don't want to deal with things they don't know. So as human beings, we bully our heads in the sand. So our motive is to be an heavy ostrich and, you know, put your head out of the sand and being knowledgeable, being more smarter about, smart about your data and really ask questions because we all deserve it. So save the ostrich, save your data. Yeah. Great note to end on. So thank you, Gal, for being our guest today and good luck with, with, with the product. Thank you to all our listeners for joining another episode of Serious Privacy. If you like our series, please do tell your friends and colleagues about us and rate and review our episodes in your favorite podcast app or on your favorite podcast platform. Should you have any questions or suggestions, do reach out to us via Serious Privacy at TrustArp.com, via Twitter at, at Podcast Privacy, or on LinkedIn, just look for Serious Privacy. You will find Kay on Twitter as Heart of Privacy and myself as EuropaB. Until next week, goodbye. Bye, y'all. That was Serious Privacy. Hey listeners, looking to navigate the realm of responsible AI data privacy governance? Well, look no further. Absolutely. TrustArc is paving the way, offering a complete approach to managing privacy risks in the world of AI. TrustArc allows organizations to confidently use AI with personal or sensitive data, moving forward efficiently and cost-effectively. And here's the kicker. Protect your company and data with TrustArc's privacy-driven compliance software. Because they're... Deep automation streamlines data privacy governance, cutting your time to compliance with automated data mapping, risk assessments, and regulatory reporting. TrustArc's enhancements go way beyond that, helping organizations understand AI better and align cross-functionally on data governance, privacy, and security. Plus, they provide guidance on privacy governance for AI and how to mitigate risks using frameworks like NIST AI, OECD AI, and the Nemesi Privacy Management Accountability Framework. If you're aiming for compliance excellence, check out Privacy Central, seriously one of my best parts. It uses automation and privacy expertise to understand your requirements, build and manage your privacy program with ease. Oh, I agree. Privacy Central is your go-to to measure your progress toward responsible AI data compliance. Stay ahead with TrustArc's Privacy Central. Visit TrustArc.com now. Ask me a Paul if you have any questions. <laughs>